walking with Jesus, serving with love, sharing with courage. Welcome to the PCOM Podcast. Hey everybody, Dan Van Voris back here for my monthly shot on the PCOM podcast where I come to talk to you a little bit about what we do at church, but in its historical context. If you haven't listened before, uh, I am a, a church historian. I have a podcast called The Christian History Almanac that's a weekly show. Uh, pardon me, it's a daily show that has a weekly show added on to it now. N- nonetheless, it was a fantastic, fantastic Easter service uh, my family, we were at uh, the Awake service, just such a, a wonderful time, especially after the, the preparation that had gone into the, the Bible studies and Holy Week, and then showing up on Sunday morning was such a joyous time, and so many people uh, were there. And uh, afterwards, I was sitting with uh, my in-laws and with a family friend, and I was talking with this man, uh, a Welsh man, and he grew up as a primitive Baptist. Now, that's not a pejorative. They call themselves primitive Baptists because they believe they're going back to the tradition of the early church, and and thus they aren't uh, sullied by, you know, later traditions and the like. And uh, he's, a, he's a great guy, and I was asking him about celebrating Easter in that tradition, and he said that it was really it was difficult, and they just sort of, like, grudgingly made reference on Easter Sunday that it was indeed Easter Sunday, uh, but if they were doing a, a you know a sermon series through the Ten Commandments, they were just going to keep going with the Ten Commandments. Um, they and and other Christians saw the church calendar as as Catholic or as 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 uh, superstitious as coming from an illegitimate hierarchy, and so anything that said you need to recognize this day on that day was uh, suspect. And so I I thought about my own past in, in various churches, evangelical and Lutheran and Presbyterian and Reformed, and, and seeing how different churches deal with the church calendar. And so I thought today what I would talk to you about is a little bit about how we as Christians tell time. And, and, and as we are telling time our own time, we have a liturgical year and a liturgy, and those might sound like fancy words or maybe Catholic words, uh, but really what we mean is an order of service, an order of life. The story of why we do what we do as Christians and what we do when we get together is a fascinating story, and as a church historian, it's something I've dedicated my my life to, to looking at and, and thinking about. Well, for this story, let's go all the way back to 325. And if you hear the word, the, the year 325, you might think, okay, that is the Council of Nicaea. And you're correct. The Council of Nicaea was the first eh, ecumenical council. So sort of just about everybody in the church was invited by the new emperor Constantine, who had made Christianity legal. And this council at Nicaea would give us the Nicene Creed 
not to be that guy, but the creed that we say today that's called the Nicene Creed is actually the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, but that's ridiculous to say. So we just say Nicene, but that comes a little later in the century. But this first Council of Nicaea, 325, it's called, yes, because the question of who is Jesus is central to the church and her message, but just as important for this council was asking the question, when is Easter? It was so important to Constantine, to the bishops, to the patriarchs at different centers of the early church, that Easter was celebrated together, that that joy we all had this past Sunday, that that would be replicated in our churches and around all the churches at the same time. Something about this uniformity of worship and, and uniformity of recreation. That's, that's what the church, that's what we do. We are recreating people. When we get together every Sunday, we're getting together on the new Sabbath, or some Christians called it the eighth day, and there was some uniformity to that. And while there's always going to be diversity in the church because people are different across space and time, um, it has been historically important to say, well, when, when do we celebrate? And so the church calendar developed because we needed Easter. And from Easter, we needed a time to prepare ourselves. So the Lenten season would come in right before that. And, and then it was a matter of working back before Lent, you've got Epiphany, and then the Christmas season, and then Advent. And Advent, of course, would become kind of like the new year uh, for the church. Of course, after Easter is the season of Pentecost. And the season of Pentecost, which blends in with something called ordinary time, uh, takes up about half the year. And the, the rest of the year is looking at the life of the church in the various readings. And before we get too too much farther on on you know specific dates or when people are, are doing things, I do think it's helpful to ask the question: Does it matter? Do we have to do things on certain dates or days? And I think there's a some really good conversation that can come from that question: Do we have to? I, I think if I, well, I shouldn't. So I. Uh, Beth Ann and I have an anniversary. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary last year. And it's um, it's in August, and it's the 11th or the 10th. Um, and you'd think by now I would know which one, but it's almost like I've you know, messed up my own head so that I can't get it right. Now, she is a wonderful, sweet, gracious person, and so she's cool that I'm, I'm close. But does it matter like when certain things are? I've got two boys. Their birthdays are coming up. Do they care that their birthday is celebrated on the 29th. Yeah. Yeah. Even the most primitive of primitive Baptists, like my, my friend Andy said, yeah, we, we celebrate Easter. Oh, and Christmas, of course. Oh, and birthday. So it's not a question of whether or not we observe, it's how much we observe. And I do want to talk uh, a little bit later on the show as to some of the pitfalls. And if you observe uh, what how it can be problematic, because I think we need to be balanced or at least understand uh, the pitfalls on both sides. I'm going to do one thing right now as we talk about the worship of the church, the liturgical calendar. So that's Easter, Pentecost, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany. 
and the liturgy itself. That is the actual stuff that makes up what we do when church starts. So let's talk about the way we tell time as Christians, right? As a recreating people, we get together on Sunday and recreate that first day of uh, the week, that Resurrection Sunday. And and while Sunday, Easter Sunday is specifically Resurrection Sunday, every Sunday in a way is a a little uh, Resurrection Sunday. And so uh, how can we think about how we think about what we do when we get together as Christians on uh, my other show, The Christian History Almanac, on the, the weekend edition about two weeks ago, uh, I took a, a longer dive into what church would have looked like for f- those first Christians uh, after the the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and, and how different it looked from what we're doing today. But in the, in the same way, there are some things that are very similar. Uh, and in, in doing that, in looking at the way in which the church has has acted, uh, there's a, a, a fancy, helpful Latin phrase. I'm going to teach to you, and you can use it to impress your friends or confound your enemies, but it is lex orendi, lex credendi. Lex orendi, lex credendi. It's kind of fun to say. Lex is law, and orendi comes from uh, it's prayer worship, so the law of prayer and and worship is the lexicon law of credendi, of belief. So the law of worship is the law of belief. So let me translate that into uh, real English here. It is uh, the way in which you worship will affect how and what you believe. There is a link between what you do and what you believe. And we can see this throughout the history of the church. We can see certain beliefs that are are held up by certain practices. Uh, you know, I think in some churches where they, uh, they'll lift up the Lord's Supper, right? They'll, they'll elevate it. They'll have processions, parades with it. And sometimes you see the theology of the Lord's Supper for these people will start to change over time. And we see this with with music, with sacraments or ordinances, and, and all the things we do. Lex serendi, lex credendi. And what do we do uh, when we worship? Well, we are recreating. We are connecting not only with the church body that we are currently with, but we are connecting with the saints throughout space and time by the Holy Spirit in worshiping uh, in Jesus and receiving, again, his spirit uh, and gifts. Now, of course, the problem with the church calendar is, well, whose calendar are you going to use? And, and you probably know that there are people, if you go to, to Wikipedia and you type in 2022, uh, on the right-hand side, you will see that, yes, this is 2022 here and uh, in other countries and in certain faiths, they have completely different calendars because it's really important how we tell time. It's part of how we tell our story. Uh, Well, the the biggest changes in the calendar in uh, the West, the the first really big change is going from a lunar to a solar, and that's that's all the way back with Julius Caesar. So this is Roman Empire. And the the story goes that Cleopatra convinced Julius to use uh, the the new model instead of the old model because they had a better uh, ability to, uh, to track the 
the rise and fall of the Nile. And so that's the first big change is getting this Julian calendar, Julian called because of Julius Caesar. And then in the 1500s, well, people, and these were church people, realized that the calculation for uh, one solar year wasn't quite close enough and it needed to be edited because there was slippage. And so pretty soon, if you kept using this calendar, then Easter would or spring would take place when it was usually summer and everything would be thrown off. And so um, Pope Gregory was the one who encouraged this new calendar. And so in the 1500s, we moved from the Julian to the Gregorian calendar, except that also in the 1500s is the Reformation and Catholics and the new Reformation Christians were suspicious of each other. And so while Pope Gregory gave us a better calendar, many Protestants said, no way, that's that's some kind of popish trickery. We're not using a better calendar just because you... And so in the 1500s, and, and for some time after that, you have Catholic territories using one calendar and Protestants using another. And of course, then you have the Greek Orthodox that they're going to stay on the Julian. So even by the time all the Protestants come over to the Gregorian calendar, we still have our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters worshiping or, or uh, celebrating Easter uh, differently from the West. Now, it's interesting because if you are a historian in the 1500s, as I, I was as a graduate student, you have to be warned that there are places where a letter can arrive before it was sent because of Protestants and and and, uh, and Catholics. And of course, uh, Germany, Protestant Germany, it wasn't until the 16, mid 16, late 1600s that eventually uh, they took the new Gregorian calendar. Uh, the American colonies, you know, some of them were pretty hardcore about being Protestant. They didn't take the Gregorian calendar until 1752. And so there's some fun bits in there about when Washington's birthday is, because is it the 11th or is it um, <clears throat> is 11th or 22nd, I believe? Of course, if you adopted these reforms, as they did originally in the 1500s, you would, uh, well, in this case, it was 1582, and everyone went to bed on October the 4th and woke up on uh, October the 15th. And there are some fun things that happened there. But the whole point of this was we have to have a unified calendar because we need to celebrate Easter together. That's how central uh, not only Christianity uh, is to the, the making of a, a unified calendar, but, uh, but certainly of Easter to the whole uh, Christian enterprise. Of course, it, it was John Calvin, uh, the reformer, who said that we are we are idle factories, uh, not not I D L E, like like we're I, we create idols all the time. We will make anything an idol, and so uh, you know the church calendar, and it's been really fun um, with the uh, pastors preaching through the lectionary right now. And I've heard that that's something that the church has done in the past, and sometimes hasn't done. And there's kind of a nice freedom there to say it's something we can do, but we don't uh, need to do. And, and there are, because there, as soon as we think we have to do something or something becomes a law, uh, it can it can get bad real fast. As someone who tracks the history of the church, unfortunately, it is so often tracking uh, division. But the calendar can do some great things. Uh, I was going to give you, I was going to finish up here with, uh, you know, the best 
uh, and the worst, or perhaps uh, good and bad, or, or what have you. And, and I learned that in the youth group, where, where my oldest court goes, uh, they do something called uh, nope and dope. And, and dope it meaning good, is because they're, they're kids. So um, here we go. The nopes and the dopes of a church calendar, and recognizing it with the liturgical calendar and readings. Let's see what we've got here. So what makes it uh, what makes it good? What makes it dope, as the kids say? Um, it brings unity. It's it's wonderful when I have uh, other Christians, other Christian friends who are going to church in different denominations, and they're hearing a take on a text. It's it, sometimes on Twitter I'll see friends who are pastors in different traditions saying, "Oh, are you doing the the uh, prodigal son this weekend, or do you have this and?" And it's a way in which we can we can find that unity. And how does your tradition look at this? And um, I know there was someone at PCOM not too long ago who uh, was at a, like a Catholic service in the morning, and then was at our service, and it was you know a very similar text. And so that's that's a great thing. Um, order and rhythm can be really really helpful. Uh, I don't think we should prize order over everything, uh, but. You know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a big church body, in a big family, it can be helpful. And, and the order of going through it, the, the deep familiarity of what's happening and what happens next. I think these are, are really, uh, really good things that a sense of church history and a church calendar and a liturgy can help us with. But uh, let me give you some nopes. Uh, these things can become superstitions so, so quickly. I, I did a show um, on the Christian History Almanac about uh, Good Friday and, and listed out all the superstitions. And because it's such a high holy day, pretty soon people were washing their feet on Good Friday and then keeping the, the, the water to use as a tonic later in the year. And you've got ideas about planting garlic before noon on Good Friday and just, just all over the place. And they point, of course, to where we're looking, but at the same time, uh, we are idle factories. We can become superstitious. We can make things laws and burdens that don't need to be. Uh, and at the same time, uh, we can use them as cudgels to beat other, oh, you don't use the, what you're too good for the church calendar. Oh, look at, right. And, it, it, and I've seen all of this and, and been guilty of some of it myself. So it's important to hold on uh, lightly to it, to, to see a tradition for what it is and to see our, our rich past as a people called together uh, by the Spirit of Jesus to see the unity that is there, but at the same time recognize the diversity, and sometimes things aren't going to look the same. When we start thinking about what we do and why we do it, it sometimes, for me at least, has helped me kind of think through uh, the worship service and what is, uh, you know, what are the pastors trying to do here with this? What's, what's Jeff... Uh, or, or the musicians, what are they, the worship leaders, how are they drawing us, taking us from one place uh, to another? What are we doing when we get together, and why do we do it, and how does it connect us to ourselves and to our past? It's, uh, it's so fun to get to do this podcast here at PCOM, and, and as I've said before, maybe to you in person, um, we, my family has been so blessed by this church. And so to get involved and to be able to uh, use my vocation as a, a storyteller of the, of the church, a church historian, 
uh, to get to do that is really fantastic. And so uh, if there's something you would love to hear about on my uh, monthly podcast here on the Pecom Pod, if there's a question, why do we do this? Tell me about this person. Uh, I would love to, to do that. So you can uh, come to me and, and talk to me, my family. We're at the Awake Service. Uh, you can email me. I'm at Dan V, V as in Victor, at 1517-1517.org. So until next time, I will tell you what was told to me via the first bulletin I ever received when I came to PCOM almost a year ago. It said there in big letters, Jesus is good news. So true. We'll talk to you soon.